you've seen that video now like five times. Just think, I've seen it 20 times. So um, anyway, one more week, one more week. As we begin and get going, um, the gold sheet in your service folder, you uh, could take that out. I think uh, that would be a blessing and always helps you to remember better that which we studied from God's word. Um, we're, as I've mentioned earlier, in the fifth week of this series, and what we've been doing is taking a look at certain things that we believe about life, about God, and about ourselves that we believe, but they're just not true. And what we've been saying is, and, and here's the main truth of the series, what we're saying is that the things we believe influence how we think and how we act, and so it's important that we understand that what we believe to be true, that we're believing the right things. Way back in week one, I talked about an example of this from, um, from history, where for years and years, sailors and people felt that the world was flat, and so that influenced their attitude and behavior as they were scared or fearful to sail too far away from shore, and it affected their behavior because that meant that they stayed closer to shore than they would normally. These are the things we're talking about. The things you believe, or the types of situations we're talking about, the things that you believe affect what you do and how you think. And what we've been doing is applying the only real truth we can count on without a shadow of a doubt, the truth of God to these circumstances and these situations. Well, this week's lie that we're looking at is a little bit different than other weeks because in past weeks I've been able to sort of summarize the lie with a sentence. This week's lie takes on many different shapes and many different forms, but it all revolves around one common circumstance or situation. You see it in your service folder, but here it is. They are the lives the lies. The lies we believe when making decisions. The lies that we tell ourselves when we have to make a decision. Now, you might have also noticed in the bulletin that I entitled this message Salesman, which is a really weird title for a sermon, and it was meant to be that way because I wanted you to uh, think, hmm, what does that mean? Um, you, every single one of you, are expert salesmen. And you might be thinking, Ben, you don't know me. I had a sales job once. I was horrible at it. I could not, I can't sell anything. Well, it's not the type of salesman that I'm talking about, obviously. Here's what I mean. You and me, we are expert salesmen when it comes to selling ourselves on reasons to do things that we really want to do. That it's not about selling anything online or selling anything door-to-door -door type of salesman, but we are experts, expert salesmen, you like me, are great at selling yourself on reasons why you should do something that you may not really think is good, or maybe even that you know God may not want you to do. And we are great at, at selling our brains on things that our hearts really want to do. Now, let me give you some examples of this if you're not quite tracking with me yet. I'm going to start kind of more surface level, and then we're going to get deeper with a couple of examples. Um, so here's an example. We are great at selling ourselves out of doing exercise 
and into eating more dessert, aren't we? I mean, think about it for a second. Um, imagine that you have a gym membership or you have uh, the equipment down in the basement or you have a time set up to go running. And let's say you're at work, all right? And whatever project you were on at the end of the day um, kind of took a little longer than what you were expecting. And how quickly don't, don't we use those 10 minutes late to decide that a whole hour of exercise won't work? I'm going to be late. Well... There's always tomorrow, and I think I coughed once today, and I better make sure that my body is strong enough to fight off that, that illness that might be coming, so I better not exercise. You know what we really should say? I don't want to exercise today, because that would be closer to the truth than the 10 minutes overtime that you spent at work. Or how about dessert? I mean, I, I love dessert, and I love big pieces of dessert. And believe me, I go lots of different places when it comes to people's homes and different places. And here's excuses that sometimes I use on myself to sell myself. So I know I can have dessert, but maybe not such a big piece. But then the hostess or the, puts this huge supersized piece of pie in front of me and I start selling myself. And it goes like this. It's there already. If I ask for a smaller piece, I'm gonna hurt the hostess's feeling I better just take one for the team, right? I better just eat it, you know, because that's the nice thing to do. What I really should say is this. Ben, you have no self-control right now. Just eat the supersized piece of pie because that's closer to the truth than what I'm trying to sell my heart to really believe. Does this make any sense to you? Or is it just me? I'm the only one that does this. Here's another area of life. We're getting more serious. Purchases that we make. We're experts and selling ourselves on reasons that really aren't true, but they make our brains feel better. Here's one. Have you ever heard this? I spent a lot more on a car, and the reason is, is because it's a safe car. I bought the safer car because it's safe for the family. I'm thinking of the family. So you bought the black decked-out Hummer because it's safe. Yeah, because it's, no, you didn't. You bought the, you can tell your brain whatever you want to believe, but you're selling the brain on something that is not true. You just wanted the decked out Hummer or the really expensive car. It's not because it was safe, because you don't let your teenager drive it anyway, right? <laughs> we give them the, the older car that's not quite as safe. So I need the safe car. <laughs> Getting maybe a little even more serious, how about uh, jobs? The reason I took this new job that pays more is for the family. Now, you realize you're going to have to work more, and you're actually going to be with your family less. Yeah. But you did it for the family. Yeah, I did it for the family. Or... The reason, getting more serious, the reason I spend so much time with that coworker of the opposite gender is because she needs a friend. Well, Michael over there, guy, Michael over there, he, he's lonely and he needs a friend. Yeah, but I don't have that much time. Or how about this? I've done lots of 
of counseling, lots of weddings, and this is one that I hear often in young people who are, um, you know, getting into dating and sometimes, someday looking to be married, uh, applies to you too. The reason I moved in with my boyfriend or girlfriend, I hear this all the time, is because of finances. Because of finances. To save money. And oftentimes, the ironic part is that they have family in the area who would love to open up a room for them, or imagine someone who, let's say, has an extra room above their garage that would be willing to help out in a pinch. Well, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't want to impose. Because <laughs> it's not really about the finances, and it's not really about the safety of the car, and it's not really about the, the, the new job about the family. We just convince ourselves of these things, and the list can go on and on and on, right? In big things like living together or other big purchases or in really small things like a a piece of pie. And even if it's not the best thing for us, we find ourselves arguing for what we really want to do, even if we know it's a sin. In fact, many times we start with what we do, and then we try to figure out a whole bunch of ways to make ourselves feel better in order to do what our nature really wants to do. Now, here's the reason why it's so important to sort of smoke these lies out. Because the longer we believe the lies we tell ourselves, guess what happens? We actually start to believe them. The longer we tell ourselves something that really isn't true, the more we start to believe them. And so before we get into God's word, and as we sort of unpack this lie... Here's one thing just practically that you need to do, that I need to do a better job of. When you start to feel that tension, that you're kind of selling yourself on something, there's probably a good reason for that tension, and you need to simply ask this question. It's the first fill-in. Ask this question, am I being honest with myself right now? Or am I selling myself on something that really isn't true? Here's what I want to do. Here's the decision I'd like to make. Here are the reasons I'm telling myself it's okay. But what's the real reason? What's the real reason I'm buying this house? What's the real reason that I drink too much? What's the real reason I'm taking this job? Here's what I sell myself on, but what's the real reason I'm moving in with my boyfriend or girlfriend? What's the real reason that I'm not talking to my parents? Here's the excuse I use, but what's the real reason? What's the real reason that I cheated on that test? You know, I tell myself that the the teacher just isn't nice and he's too hard, but what's the real reason? What's the real reason that I quit going to church a long time ago? And then as we've identified and smoked out the real reason, God's truth that we're going to look at can help us to overcome what our hearts want to do as we understand what God's truth is. And to do that, we're going to go back about 3,000 years. And we're going to uh, sort of peer into a decision that a man a 1,000 years before Jesus needed to make. And believe me, if he wanted to sell himself on it, as we'll see, there were tons of reasons to sell himself on a decision that wouldn't have been the right decision. 
What we're going to do is look at one of the most famous kings in the Bible. His name is David. And if you've been going to Bethlehem for a while, you know that a few years ago we did an entire series on the life of David. But we didn't have a chance to get to this episode in his life. So this is kind of a good timing. We haven't looked at this, I think, ever in my 10 years of, of being here. And so um, in order to better understand his dilemma, David's, we need to just understand some quick background. So David, um, when he was a young boy, probably in his early teens, um, a prophet named Samuel came to his home, his dad's home named Jesse, his dad's name was Jesse, and he said, David, you're going to be the next king of Israel, all right? Now, this is kind of an odd thing for Samuel to say, because usually, who becomes the king of, of a country? The prince, right? The son of the current king. Well, Jesse and David, they were not related at all to the king. And so in order for this to happen, there was going to have to be some dramatic dynasty change going on. Well, over the years, David actually got a chance to get to know the king. And in fact, uh, as he got to know King Saul, there became a little bit of jealousy that Saul had of David. There are a number of reasons for this, but it all kind of started in that very famous uh, thing from David's life when David um, defeated Goliath and people just started to, to love David and kind of forgot about Saul. And Saul became very conscious of this and he also became very hateful of David. And if you read through 1 Samuel, you see all of these... Um, times when Saul was trying to kill David or at least to imprison him to get rid of this very popular guy. Well, this is exactly what was going on at the time of our lesson for today. Um, Saul heard the area in which David was hiding out in the desert with, with a bunch of his followers, David's followers, and he decides to gather a group together to go and to find David to either kill him or to arrest him. And so we turn to 1 Samuel 24, beginning with verse 1. Might need to do the uh, arrow, Jason. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David's in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and he set out with these 3,000 men and all their equipment to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. Now that sounds kind of weird, the crags of the wild goats. I think there are these, lots of these instances in the Bible where we see that some people like to believe that the Bible isn't really a historical book. But when you read it, it is written exactly like history. Because it is true accounts. And everyone who read this originally would have known exactly where the crags of the wild goats was and exactly where Samuel was writing about. Verse 3, he came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there. And then one of the very few references in the Bible about something very personal, probably makes kids blush a little bit, Saul went in to relieve himself. That means um, Saul needed to use the bathroom. All right? So if you're an average soldier and you needed to use the bathroom, you just suck it up. If you're the king, all 3,000 men and all of his stuff, all of the, the, the horses and mules and everything, all the equipment, it just stops. And that's exactly what happened. And Saul went to find a cave. And while he was there, something else was true. 
David and his men were far back in that cave. Now, this is a very interesting set of circumstances. Not only does Saul stop exactly where David and his men were hiding out, but he goes into a cave, and not only was it a cave, but it was the exact cave that David and his men were hiding out. Do you ever look for signs? I think sometimes we can be, I'll say, superstitious and look for signs in life. I'll tell you, I'm not a big sign person. And the reason is, is I think that we can make signs say whatever we really want them to say, and we can keep looking for signs until they say what we want them to say. So I'm not big on signs. But if signs were real, there were a few signs going on here, wasn't there, for David. So David and his men have not been able to live at home for months because they've always had to been on the run from this guy, Saul, who wants to kill them or arrest them. They haven't been home for a long time. And the guy that's the reason for them not being at home is right there in the cave. And not only that, but he's defenseless. There's no one with him. And not only that, think of the drama that would have happened. That Saul goes into the cave as king and Saul doesn't come out, but David comes out with the robe and maybe the crown. He probably wasn't wearing the crown, but at least the robe. And he is now the king. Think of the drama. Very little bloodshed, only one man, the king. No war, no battle. All seemingly, the signs all pointed to David doing what his men were wanting him to do. Verse 4, what did his men want him to do? The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of. Don't you see it? Don't you see the signs? When he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. And so David is faced with this decision. It's decision-making time. And if he wanted to sell his brain and what his men were wanting, and maybe even what was in his heart it would have been very easy to do. So David grabs his sword or his dagger, and he creeps up on Saul in that dark cave. And what happened? Some of you know. Verse 5, David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He, what? <laughs> Didn't he see the signs? He did what? Wasn't it obvious that the sales job clearly pointed to David killing Saul and becoming king? But in that moment, you know what was true for David? He wasn't concerned about signs. He was concerned about truth. He wasn't concerned about the signs. He was more concerned about truth. And here's what God's truth was. His truth was, David, you will become king, and who will make him king? God would. I will make you king over Israel. Never once did God say, and you're going to do this by killing the current king. God always was the one in control. And for David to kill King Saul and to listen to his men and maybe to what his heart was saying would have been a decision that he could have rationalized I mean, look at how much we've been running. I haven't seen my family for a while. This is uh, such a hard life. He's been so mean to me. <laughs> but it wouldn't have been honest. 
You know what the honest response would have been? Because he could have argued himself into that. If you would have been honest with himself, like I asked you to be earlier with that question, the honest thing would be, I'm tired of waiting on God. I'm tired of waiting on his timetable. This isn't fair. I don't like how God's working things. I'm going to, instead of waiting on God, I'm just going to do what I want to do in my heart. And so, in fact, we see that David's decision not to kill Saul had everything to do with his faith, everything to do with his trust in God. Because the, the reality is, is that we might think we know outcomes. We really don't know. You might think that if in that moment David killed Saul, that he would have become the next king. A million different things could have happened. But the one thing that would have been true in that moment is that David, we don't know if he would have been king, but we do know that he would have been the one guilty of sin and guilty of killing God's appointed king in that moment named Saul. That's the one thing we would be sure of. Verse 5, afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. Um, This was a, a sign of great disrespect towards the king. You might think, cut off a piece of his robe, who cares? Um, This shows again where David's heart was. The reason he held back, the reason he didn't make the decision that would have been easy is because of his faith in God and his understanding that Saul was God's appointed king for that moment. Verse 6, he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master. Here's that faith. He is the Lord's anointed. Maybe not forever. I know I'm going to be king someday, but for now. Or to lift my hand against him. For again, he is the anointed of the Lord. And with these words, David rebuked his men who were trying to sell him on doing that which he shouldn't have done and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Know the truth that will set you free when it comes to making decisions that you know are maybe not in line with God or not the best thing for you? If I can encapsulate it in a statement, next fill-in, it's to remember that God's truth trumps our good reasons every single time. God's truth is more sure than your good reasons. You don't know what the future holds. You don't know for sure if that car is going to bring you happiness. You don't know if this is going to be the best thing for you. You think you know that in the moment it's going to be the best or the thing that's going to bring you happiness, but you don't know for sure. David didn't know for sure, but God's truth trumps our good reasons Every single time. And if we believe that, you know what's going to happen? You're going to make different decisions. If you trust that God's truth is better than my good reason and sell job to myself, we're going to be free from the trap of the lies we tell ourselves, and we are going to make better decisions. So Saul walks out of the cave, and then what happens next? David also went out of the cave. Can you imagine that? 
these 3,000 or however many people could actually see David, see David coming out of the same exact cave that Saul was in. The guy that they were looking for, that is David, to kill him. And he called out to Saul, my lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down in honor and prostrated himself in front of the, the guy who wanted to kill him with his face to the ground. And he said to Saul, why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? Verse 10. This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord, it seemed like, delivered you into my hands in the cave. And some in there urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lift my hand against my master because I honor and respect the Lord. Because that person is the Lord's anointed. Because God's truth trumps my good reasons. And then in verse 12, there's this other statement that I think has to be at the heart of giving things to the Lord. David says, May the Lord judge. May the Lord judge between you as king or me. What David is saying, I give these things to the Lord. I know he's in control. I'm just following God. I know God is the master over my life, and he's got a plan, and I am just following him. May the Lord judge. I'm giving it to him. You've maybe heard this phrase or sentence, and I obviously didn't come up with it, but I think it is so helpful and makes so much sense. It goes like this. I may not know what my future holds, but I know the one who holds my future. That's what David was saying. I may not know exactly what my future holds, but I know the one who holds my future. You know the one who holds your future. He's the same one who sent his son so that you know without a doubt that whatever happens between now and then, someday you will be in heaven. And so when we're making decisions, here's where we start. Or here's the second question we ask. We acknowledge Jesus. He's the Lord of my life. He is the master of my life. He is the one in charge of my life. Does this decision I'm making reflect that? It's Jesus. He's the Lord of my life. I might think I control my life. I might think I'm the master of my life. But Jesus is the Lord of my life. Does this decision reflect that? A few months later, after this event in the cave, Saul is in battle. He's kind of on the outskirts of the battle. And an archer lifts his bow and just kind of shoots it into a group of Israelites. And that arrow goes perfectly in between the seams of Saul's armor, and as the Bible records, wounds him fatally. Now, if someone would have told David in the cave, hey David, guess what? Seven chapters later, Saul is going to be killed by an arrow, and God's going to take care of it. If David would have known that, how much easier his decision in the cave would have been, right? He didn't know that. 
But he knew that Jesus, that God was the Lord of his life. And so he knew that God's truth trumps his good reasons. And we see God taking care of it. We see God taking care of David. That God can be trusted. How do you know that God can be trusted? Well, that's where we come back to Jesus. This is why Jesus is a part of every sermon, every instruction, every directive, everything we do. Because without Jesus, we have nothing. But with Jesus and with his sacrifice, we have salvation, we have evidence of God's love for you, we have confidence that our eternity is in heaven, and we have confidence to know that God has a plan for us because his proof is in Jesus and the cross. Jesus is the Lord of my life. And do our decisions reflect that? I'm an expert salesman. I hope I'm not the only one that struggles with this, and I'm going to feel kind of dumb. I know I am. I sell myself on, thing, sell myself on things I really want to do. And just because I heard this, wrote this message today and, and heard these words from God does not mean that's going to stop. I'm going to keep struggling with these lies. But I pray with the knowledge that we have now from God's word and from this episode in David's life that we have some tools of God's truth to help us fall less and to make better decisions in our life. Am I being honest with myself? Does I, my decision reflect that Jesus is the Lord of my life? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the Lord of our lives. And what that means is that our eternity is secured, but it also means that you are the master of this life too, and that you have a plan for us. In the same way, Lord, though, we've learned that our decisions have consequences and that we need your help and strength to root out the real reasons that we make decisions and to make decisions that are in line with your word when we feel that tension of trying to sell ourselves on something else. Lord, be with us and guide us. Forgive us for the times that we mess up. Lord, also we come to you in prayer and we thank you uh, for the faith that you worked in the life of Alice Setterholm. And we rejoice in her salvation. Continue to be with Mike and Mary and the family as they adjust to a new chapter in their lives without Alice as a part of it. We pray all this in Jesus' name and continue by praying. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever.